Those are powerful words when they're read consecutively like that. We get them in bits and pieces throughout the four Gospels, and there's something about hearing those six words consecutively that, that stirs us, that, that speaks to us. If you have your Bibles with you this evening, I'd invite you to turn them to the uh, 19th chapter of the Gospel of John. Way back on Ash Wednesday, we began a journey that's taken us through Lent. Our, our series has been called Words from a Friend. We've been taking each week, each Sunday morning, and looking at a different word that, that Jesus spoke in his dying moments from the cross. And even from the cross, we've noticed through these weeks that our teacher, our master, our rabbi has still been teaching us a few things. From his cross, he's still been teaching us how to pray, and he's still been teaching us how to live. The first word, forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We talked about forgiveness and being able to release and let go and to extend forgiveness to those who wrong us. Not necessarily that it will change them or or their behavior, but because it it releases that in us on the inside and it stops paralyzing us. The second word was, was heaven, paradise. Jesus was crucified and on his right and his left there were two thieves, as we read. And while Jesus was hanging there and these criminals were hanging there, one of them joins in the teasing of Jesus and and the other one, well, he says, this man's done nothing wrong. And he, he asks Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' answer was today. You will be with me in paradise. The word was heaven. It's a promise that he extended to this dying criminal, but it's a promise that extends down through the ages to all sinners and to us. The third word that we looked at was, was community. From his cross, Jesus looked out and he saw his mother there grieving, wondering what went terribly wrong and he saw the disciple whom he loved was also nearby, and, and he, he joined the two together. Hey, take care of my mother. Mary, here's your son. He launched a, a, a church community while dying on the cross. He connected people together in community It's a word for us that we reach out to one another and we take care of each other. There was a word of of a rejection. There was a word of abandonment from the cross. 
That moment when Jesus felt the full weight of sin and, and, and the, the love that of, of the Father that, that surrounded him throughout his life and throughout his ministry somehow seemed missing. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you left me here? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? It's a word of rejection. And the word for us in that is that he knows our pain. He, he, he knows our suffering. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be tested and rejected and scorned and abandoned. Yet even in these times, in this, in this moment, moment of his greatest darkness, he still turned to God in prayer. And he handed his problems and his feelings and his emotions over to God. God, why have you forsaken me? He turned to him for help. Thirst from his cross. It, it's not hard for us to imagine that one who had been beaten and whipped and was bleeding and sweating and left naked on a cross to die, it, it's no wonder that he would feel some physical thirst. But when he says, I thirst, he's also saying, my soul is thirsty. And when we look to quench our thirsts, spiritual thirsts, emotional thirsts, relational thirsts, vocational thirsts, whatever they are, when our souls are parched and dry, Jesus said, I am the living water. He turned to God and he said, I thirst. I need some soul refreshing. And there was a word of trust. Luke's account, Jesus' final words were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he knew that all was done, he placed the balance and entirety of his life in the hands of God the Father. It was a prayer of trust. It was a prayer of hope. And tonight, tonight we reach the seventh word. I'd ask you to stand. It's a very short text Actually, the text is one word in the Greek, but I'll read a couple of verses just to make it worth your while standing up. John 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they, they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus says, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated.
Some people, when they read this story and they read this word, they, they hear this final word as recorded by John. Uh, they, they hear this final word of Jesus as a word of finality. They, they, they read it um, that Jesus comes to the realization that, that he is a failure. That the ministry that he has been practicing is a failed ministry. That there's this picture of a dying, uh, disillusioned Jesus who finally figures out that something has gone drastically wrong. It is finished. Is a way of saying, I'm defeated. Uh, I might as well run the white flag up the flagpole and surrender, give up, case closed, put a fork in it, it's done, it's over, say goodbye, the last person here, shut the lights off, whatever metaphor you want to use, some people read this text as a word of finality and a word of defeat that Jesus is giving up. What is it exactly is finished in this story? This, this story that, that we have been reading all along the gospel accounts of, of Jesus', Jesus final week, even his ministry leading up to this, this moment, all comes to a head, all comes to a conclusion in tonight's word. It is finished. It's a story that has lots of endings in it. I mean, think about it. For the chief priests and the religious leaders, this is a moment of victory for them, Right? They have been trying to get Jesus throughout the Gospels because he didn't play by their rules. He called them out. He made them feel uncomfortable. He challenged their beliefs. He challenged their additional rules. They've been after him for a long time. And now... Tonight, he says, it is finished. And a bunch of them, deep down inside, said, it's about time. We've been after him for a long time. We finally got the blasphemer who's been leading people astray. It was an ending that they were happy about. Well, there's also other characters in the story. Think about Pilate and then the Romans. Pilate is charged with uh, overseeing this section of the country. And Jesus and his followers have been claiming that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. The Messiah was the one who was going to come in and kick out the Romans. To say that Jesus was Lord, to say that Jesus was Messiah, is to say that Jesus is king. And if Jesus is a king, that means that they're not honoring Caesar any longer. And so for Pilate and the Roman Empire, 
To see Jesus tacked up on that cross, dying, saying, it is finished, well, good, another would-be Messiah is taken care of. This so-called threat to the Roman Empire wasn't so much of a threat. It was a shot across the bow, a warning message to anybody else who would say, I'm king, I'm Messiah, I'm going to free people from this oppression. It was an ending that they were probably happy about. Well, then there's the soldiers. A week ago, as Jesus rode into town on a donkey, and the travelers from Galilee and and other places were coming into the city to celebrate Passover, We call it the triumphal entry. People started waving palm branches and throwing their cloaks on the ground and shouting, Hosanna. I bet the soldiers were just a little on edge. Walked around maybe with one hand on their sword because they didn't know when this crowd may turn into a riot, a coup attempt. And so for the soldiers to see Jesus hanging on the cross, dying, well, for them, that was a win because none of their blood was shed. Think about the soldiers from a different perspective, too. They, they're the ones charged with carrying out the execution. And when Jesus says, it is finished, well, that's another day's work done, and this one died relatively quickly. We didn't even have to break his legs. But just to make sure that he was dead, just to make sure that they did their job as best they could, they drove a spear in his side. Blood and water flowed. For them, the ending was, this one's dead. Our job is done here. And then, then there's the crowds. There's two different crowds that we can look at. There's, there's the crowd of people who, who cheered and screamed and yelled and shouted Hosanna on his way into the city. There is a Messiah. This is the guy. For them to see Jesus hanging on the cross... Whatever momentary glimmer of hope they had is shattered. It's gone. Well, then there's the other crowd. The crowds that, that gathered around that shouted, crucify him. The crowds that wanted Jesus dead. The bloodthirsty people who had gathered around the cross just to watch somebody die. The people who hung around because they had heard he said he was the Son of God. Well, maybe there will be a show today. They're killing this man, Jesus. Claims to be Son of God. Maybe God will come down and save him. Maybe we should go out and see if anything happens. So when they hear him say, it is finished, 
Ah, the show's over. Time to go home. I guess we were right. This one isn't anything special. <laughs> then there's the disciples. The hopes and the dreams that had built day by day, parable by parable, miracle by miracle, meal by meal over the last several years. All of those hopes and all of those dreams were hanging on a cross. Everything that they had invested, this was the guy. We believed him to be the Son of God, the Messiah. What about the disciples? It was an ending for them as well. Uh, I joke around a little bit. I have a statue in my office. It's called The Call. It's a picture of, it's a, it's a, a sculpture of, of Jesus reaching out his hand to Peter, who's looking up at Jesus, reaching towards him, and he's sitting right by his fishing boat. Well, the sculpture only has half a boat. So it's easy to joke around and say, well, it was easy for Peter to leave everything he had because he only had a half a boat. It wasn't like he could go fishing anymore. But the disciples had left their careers. They had left their jobs. Some of them had left family behind, moved away, traveled around the countryside with this itinerant preacher, hoping, praying, believing that he was the Messiah. Now what? It's the death of a dream nailed to a cross. What were they to do? For them it was finished. Over. And there's Mary. Mom. Standing right there at the foot of the cross. Looking up at her son's face, eyeball to eyeball. She's the one that had received the promise from the angel of the Lord that said, this one will amount to something. He is destined for great things. Picture in her mind, I don't think of great things was hanging there dying. A humiliating death of a criminal. Son's life was cut way too short. What does it all mean? Is it finished? See, in this sense of the word finished is coming to, to an end. But coming to the end of something is a whole lot different than finishing something. When we're assigned a task with specific time guidelines, once in a while the time expires, but we're not quite finished with the project. When Nicole was born, uh, I parked 
on a street near the hospital in downtown Columbus. Went up to visit with Lisa and snuggle with Nicole a little bit. And I fed the parking meter. When I went out there, apparently I didn't put enough money in the meter. Got a nice little parking ticket. The time had expired, but I wasn't quite yet finished with my visit. The, the due date for a project at work is upon you, but you're still waiting for reports from another department to finish what you need to do. Goes the other way, too. A, a relationship that you think will never have an end suddenly falls apart. The doctor has told you there's still another six months. But something happens. The infirmity gets more aggressive and it's only days or weeks. You know, our kids, they seem so young and we think we have all the time in the world and the next thing you know, it's graduation time. You know, we say that we have plenty of time in the world. I have plenty of time to get right with God. I have plenty of time to reconcile the relationship or pick up the phone and make a call. But time fritters away, it slips away, and now we're at another ending. There's a difference between endings and being finished with something, isn't there? When you think about finished in our language, it's a really strong word. It can be a word that we use to admit defeat. It's a, a word that we use to, to give up something. It's a word that we use to, to move on from something. It's a word that we say when it's just over. Hope is gone. Things are never going to be any different than they are right now. It's finished. But I'm not convinced when I read this text that this was a cry of defeat. This was not a cry of, of Jesus running out of time on something. Jesus had told his disciples throughout his entire ministry what he was going to Jerusalem to do. He said multiple times, Son of man must die, but on the third day be raised again. But every time it kind of just went right over their head and they missed it. John writes his gospel in a way that that's, paints a picture of a very intentional Jesus. A, a Jesus who was large and in charge and he knew what he was doing. Every step was a confident step with purpose all the way to the cross. The picture that John uh, paints uh, of Jesus is a Jesus who is in control of the situation till the very end. But then I look at that how Jesus said this word too. He had already told the disciples, hey, this is what we're going to Jerusalem and this is what's going to happen to me, but they didn't believe it. But then we, then we see how Jesus proclaims this word from, from the cross. Matthew and Mark, they both report that as Jesus approached his final moment, that he cried out with a loud cry. 
In the Greek there, it's, it's, a, it's a double. Uh, phone megas. He cried out with a loud cry. You don't need to say cry out twice in a sentence. It's redundant. But you do that when you want to suggest how he said it. And so, as he was hanging there from the cross, this, this word, it is finished, was not a gurgle. It was not a gasp. It was, it is finished. Completed. Done. When you run a race and you cross the finish line and you throw your hands up and you cheer and you said, it is over, it is finished, it is accomplished, that is how Jesus proclaimed this word. It's a word of accomplishment. A long, hard journey had come to the conclusion that it is finished. And what does it mean for Jesus to say it is finished? In the Greek, it's one word, like I said. The word is tetelestai. It comes from the, the root word teleo, which means to bring to an end, to bring to completion, to bring to perfection. Finished, yes, but it, it's also a way for Jesus to proclaim that my work is completed. It's, it, I've fulfilled every obligation that's been placed upon me. The will of, of my Father has now been done. I have followed it to the letter of the law, and it is now finished. It also carries an economic overtone. If you have a mortgage on your house and you get the little coupon book when you rip off the last coupon and you send in your payment and they mark that deed paid in full to tell us die it's done it's complete the obligation has been paid the word of victory at the moment when it appears that Jesus has been defeated, he's actually the winner. Jesus can rightfully proclaim victory. When you think about it, you have to be honest and say there's a little bit of mystery in that. Right? A crucified Messiah didn't add up in society. Paul talked about that when he was writing to the church in Corinth. He reminded them that, that it is a mystery. And when you proclaim that, some people, they're just not going to get it because the picture of Jesus, humiliated, dying, hanging on a cross is a picture of defeat. It's not a picture of anybody that you'd ever want to sign up to follow. But Paul says, we proclaim Christ and we proclaim him crucified. We preach Christ crucified. He's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's a great mystery because we don't have to understand exactly how it all works out. We just believe that God would work in this way, that God would subvert the world's idea of winning 
that God would subvert, subvert the, the, the world's notion of loving. And he loves us so much that he would send Jesus to do this kind of work. It doesn't always make sense. Adam Hamilton, he says, the cross is a divine drama in which God, through Jesus, is revealing the darkness of the human soul and the relentless grace and love of God for the human race. See, Jesus is glorified on the cross because the cross is the moment in which God gives himself through his Son to save us. It's the moment in which God convicts us of sin. He, he reveals the costliness of grace and, and he takes the sins of the world upon him. And he gives us a picture of what love really looks like in order that we might live lives of sacrifice as well. See, Jesus is saying that he has finished the work that the Father has sent him to do. But it's not simply that he was finished. It was that the work was done well. The work was done right. The work was done perfectly, done to the glory of the one who sent him to do the work. Jesus did not express any lingering regrets. He doesn't need any additional time. He has no further issues to settle. The work is done. See, what? when we look at our lives, and we look at the interior of our lives, we all know how we think, we all know how we feel, we all know how we sin. And when we look at that, we think that more work needs to be done. That somehow Jesus' sacrifice wasn't quite enough to take care of what I've got going on. We somehow think that we need to do more. That we need to work harder. That somehow we need to earn this grace that Jesus said was free and finished and complete. So if you're type A... If you're an overachiever, if you're a purpose-driven Christian, if you're a self-help kind of a person, listen for a second. The work is already accomplished. God's done what we could never do. No scheme that you come up with, no plan that you write down in your daytimer could ever get us to God. God came down to do that work for you. And Jesus says to tell us die. It is finished. He bridged the gap to God. Opened the access. We couldn't do it on our own. We couldn't climb up to God on ourselves, so he came down to do it for us. He says, to tell us die, it is finished. There's one more thing that I want you to know about that word. In the Greek text, it is written in the perfect tense, which is significant when you read this story and you think about the work that Jesus has finished. Finished. 
just tell us, die. When he says this in the perfect tense, it, it means that, that there is an action that has been completed in the past, but with continuing results into the future. It's not simply a look backwards. It's not just looking in the past and saying, yes, this happened. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus finished his work 2,000 years ago. To tell us die was something that happened in the past but has continuing results to today and into the future. And when we think about that, Jesus says, to tell us die, it is finished. It was finished in the past. It's still finished today, and it'll be finished tomorrow. See, to tell us die is, it's our signal that God has succeeded in accomplishing everything that he designed to do in the life of his son. In Jesus, God himself was at work demonstrating his love for us, revealing his will for our lives, and bringing about the reconciliation that that we need. So we just need to ask ourselves a couple questions. What what can we make of this final one-word prayer? Maybe the more important question is, What can this prayer make of us? Maybe we need to reflect on the areas of our life where we might say, we might label that they are unfinished. And trust that Jesus, when he says the work is complete, that that means for us too, Maybe we need to look at the things in our life that are, that are half done and awaiting completion. It's easy to think about to-do lists that aren't finished, projects that we've started but not completed, books that we've read that have little markers in them that we know we haven't finished, looking at your email inbox and knowing that a whole bunch of emails have been unanswered. There's unfinished business all over the place. It's easy to think about those kinds of examples, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about life-changing, life-altering stuff. I'm talking about the areas where the Holy Spirit has been knocking away and tapping on your shoulder and whispering in your ear, saying, we need to do something about this unfinished business, and you've just been keeping them at bay. I'll get around to it. I'm talking about turning your junk over to God so that he can redeem it. He's already done all the work. His grace is sufficient for you, for me. So I wonder, will we follow Jesus to the cross? Will we trust him that his work is sufficient for us? It's not a word of defeat. It's not one to utter in sadness. Jesus was not a victim here. Jesus did not say, I am finished. He says, it is finished. 
Way back in the Gospel of John, John started his Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in his dying moment, Jesus says, to tell us die. It's a word of victory. To tell us die. You want to say that with me? To tell us die. It is finished. The people of God said, Amen. Amen.